You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Uh, Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Payments Innovation Podcast. I'm your host, uh, James Teodorini, and I'm absolutely delighted to be joined here today um, by Henrik Zilmer. Um, Henrik, I'm going to hand straight over to you um, to introduce yourself, uh, who you are, what you do, um, and we'll go from there. Cool. Yeah, thanks for inviting me to the podcast. Um, So, yeah, a little bit about me. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur. By heart, I would say, uh, knew that from a very young age. Uh, took me some a couple of decades to uh, to uh, get started, but um, yeah, for the last fifteen years, I've been starting companies, and, and one of them uh, is Airhelp, Airhelp.com, uh, which was started in two thousand thirteen, and been working on that since then. Um, and that is a company that helps you get money back from airlines if you've been on a delayed or canceled flight, so something everyone who travels probably have experienced one or two times in their life. So, yeah. Uh, and then uh, I've been working not only in travel, but also in e-commerce, uh, in insurance, so insurance tech. Uh, you can say air help is a little bit of legal tech as well. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, I've been building furniture also. And, uh, <laughs> and also I've been doing many, many different things. But uh, every time there's a problem, I try to find a solution. So I guess that's the 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 tape that connects it all um and and what i like to do uh, so yeah that's uh that's my story awesome thank you and i'd love to dive into air help and and you know what you guys do in a little bit more detail but i think something that i'm super passionate about and i know a lot of our, our listeners are is about that entrepreneurial journey as well i'd, I'd love to know you, you said something super interesting there about the theme that kind of pulls everything together is that you find a problem and you you think it needs solving or you, or you find a way of solving it is that a, a kind of a natural personality thing do you think or, or are you kind of often actively going out and looking into those different markets and saying this feels ripe for for disruption to use that quite a cliched phrase i'd love to know what that mindset looks like yeah yeah i think there's a lot of aspects to to that question i think in terms of identifying a problem uh, for me, it has always been uh, where I've, I've acknowledged that there's a problem, experienced it myself, confirmed that with friends and family and colleagues that there is a problem. I'm not the only one experiencing it, uh, and then it has typically gone on to the point where I feel it's so evident that something must be done in order to make it easier, faster, cheaper, whatever, uh, because the model is broken today, right? So. Uh, I think that's uh, 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 like observing that, identifying that, uh, and then saying, okay, I can actually do that. That's the next step in the next aspect where you then are able to execute and build a monster it often takes to uh, of an organization to solve, uh, you know, big problems. Um, so, so those two things um, go hand in hand. And many times you you have a good idea, but then maybe you're not so good at executing. And then it's tough to to solve any problems if you're not good at executing. Uh, on the other hand, you can have a bad idea, but good executing. So I think that that's the two uh, elements that uh, that yeah an entrepreneur needs. Awesome. And, and I, I think that, that along the way, I'll say. And I think that probably brings us very neatly on to our help, right? I think you know. 
people travel and have traveled for time immemorial but i don't think i think it's very rarely that people have the slickest smoothest travel experience known to mankind and they're so do you know what i really enjoyed that journey um you know it's often it's about how you get to somewhere that you're going to enjoy it i mean talk to us a little bit about air help and, and the specific problems that, that you saw that you thought you know to go yeah. taking that entrepreneurial mindset you went there must be a way of fixing this yeah no, I think uh, like uh, the entrepreneurial journey is always like filled with detours, mistakes, uh, regrets, like all the things that you just don't know in the situation, uh, and that's why the whole path is is such a a roller coaster, um, and and it really takes hard skin to to power through. And when AirHelp went through Y Combinator in 2014, uh, you get to learn or hear founders from the biggest companies, Facebook, Airbnb, all the big ones. And you start to realize that even for the biggest success stories out of Silicon Valley, those journeys were also complete shit shows, right? And, and <laughs> you know, people just escaping, like different of opinions, like completely crazy cap tables, investors that was fighting against it. So like the bigger the success the bigger the shit show was basically what what you you started to see. So, and we have a tendency to over romanticize startups uh, today, where it's just like this beautiful path uh, to uh, unicorn status, and <clears throat> and everyone can do it. But but that's really not the case. It is really uh, even for the ones that looked like an overnight success, has likely also been a, a lot of uh, hard work connected to it. So and for say so, so the story is the same, right? Like we. I would say our case is maybe even more extreme, right? Because here you have a company uh, that's helping passengers get money from someone who doesn't want to pay it, right? Imagine a revenue model where money that you're getting is from someone who doesn't want to give it to you, right? That by default <laughs> is like not a good place to start, right? Um, but, but that was kind of the mission we went for back then, right? Because, uh, you know, the story of how this whole thing started was actually on a beach in Bali. Uh, where I was living at the time um, and working from the beach instead of working from the office. I've always liked that more. Uh, and I don't see any reason why you can't uh, do that. Um, definitely in the beginning, maybe later on, you have to actually have a headquarter. But uh, but that was the early days of AirHub. And that was just me seeing, okay, this is one out of many ideas uh, that could be interesting. Uh, it was not a new idea. So the, the thing about having someone to represent you against an airline to claim compensation you know there's a lot of litigation lawyers already doing that right and mm. already having a website even back then uh, where you could then submit your information so so that wasn't new but what i was looking at was to say okay with my background within tech uh, within e-commerce uh, can i then uh, apply that to an old you know very simple website like email communication model and then um, automate a great deal of the process so that you can actually help thousands instead of just uh, on a one-two basis, right? Uh, because that was what was required for this model to work in the first place, right? Because in air passenger rights, if your flight's delayed or canceled, you might be entitled to 250 euro. But you you don't have any lawyer who will touch a claim worth 250 euro because yeah. they can spend five minutes on it and then it's not worth their time anymore, right? So it was kind of essential for us to say, okay, 
we need to have some form of tech in order to bring the costs of processing these claims so much down that uh, we can make money, uh, the passenger get compensation, and um, and yeah, we can scale it up uh, worldwide, right? So uh, that was the first year just figuring out if the model was feasible. And that's also for entrepreneurs, the first year, you know, you're just figuring out if this is even feasible or not, right? If you like, can you actually build something that passengers or that customers want to, to, uh, to use and pay money for? So I think you've raised something super interesting there, which is, you know, I come from a, you know, one, I come from a startup background, but a lot of currency cloud customers, right? They're, they're either pre-revenue or pre-seed or, or pre-series A. And a phrase that I think is, is banded around a lot, but is in the beginning, do things that don't scale, right? Do things that, you know, they might take manual processes, but you've got to do something to figure out if you've got that product market fit. I'm really interested to see how that works in an air help world where you are basically trying to build something that was all about scale, right? That was all about taking things away from manual processes to, to scale. I mean, what did that journey look like in the, in the beginning phases? Yeah, so uh, also maybe a little bit uh, different from the, 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 the main uh, stream in the sense that we quickly got so much demand also because travel is peak season based, right? Uh, so in the summer, you get a lot more uh, traffic than in the winter. So we got so much demand that we couldn't keep up technological wise with the automation of uh, these procedures. So what? then you can either say no to the passengers or you can uh, say, okay, can we then do it manually? Mm. Uh, and even though, you, you know, you can't, scale it because manually then you would just have to hire a thousand two thousand three thousand people and that doesn't make sense um, but what we did in the beginning was we said okay uh, we then have to process these claims to a great extent manually uh, and then while we're doing that we're going to learn how to actually process these claims because we get people to understand what's needed and that knowledge we then communicate to the engineers and then the engineers are going to develop the tools to automate what the humans are doing Right? Yeah. And then the humans are just supervising the robots. So it had a natural uh, sequence to it that you first do it manually, not very scalable. Uh, and then afterwards you, uh, or not afterwards, you continuously uh, program tools to uh, help you do that. Um, so uh, we hired a lot of people. Uh, I think AirHelp was at its peak 800 people, whereas okay, wow. half, half of them uh, were somehow involved in claim processing uh, through one end to another. Um, and that was simply to meet demand, right? Uh, and it made sense still. So that's why we did it. Uh, but after that, we uh, were able to catch up technological wise. And then uh, we didn't have to hire that much more people in uh, ops operation. And then, of course, you know, you also had a little thing called COVID. Uh, coming along in the meantime, uh, which also uh, had a big impact on our business, right? So, um, but yeah, that was that was the the sequence. And I think you you know doing that again, a lot of engineers, especially, they want to build the the starship uh, from day one, but often they don't know exactly you know the business that they're in, uh, the procedures. Uh, there's definitely some surprises. And then you end up building a Ferrari and all you needed was a Volkswagen maybe, right? And then yeah. from there you could build a Ferrari. But 
uh, that's a error or mistake I see many times that it actually it's a good thing to do things manually, not very scalable, because that makes you the expert, and then from there you can start uh, programming. Interesting, super interesting. And I want to pick up on something you mentioned there, right? Tiny little thing called COVID. I mean, we, we obviously know that you know working in international payments or you know having those, that infrastructure, uh, that international, sorry, or global client base. You know, there's not one of our currency cloud clients, or well, quite frankly, there's I don't think there was a company in the world that wasn't affected by the pandemic. But you know, you work in travel, and uh, and and I can only imagine that that had such a, a huge impact. But what what I'm not, not only in travel in aviation. Right, so in aviation, if you, yeah, <laughs> worse than like travel was definitely hit, but aviation was kind of you know the worst industry you could possibly be in uh, doing COVID. So yeah, yeah, it was, a, it was a t- yeah. Sure, go ahead. Two two questions from that, which is I think one, how did you cope? How did you manage? You're still here today, and and what we're seeing is you know. Well, in fact, I will ask that question, and then I think there's definitely a follow up question that talks about the the state of the travel industry as, as we are now, you know, in the middle of peak holiday season in, in 2022. But what was COVID like and, and how did you manage to get through that? Um, yeah, so COVID was absolutely devastating to uh, the entire travel industry and especially to our industry, which was aviation, right? No flights, no passenger claims, no compensation, no fee to air help. And uh, if you go from... If you reduce your revenue with you know 80, 90 percent overnight, right? You can imagine any organization losing ninety yeah. percent of its revenue. You're like, what are you going to do, right? And and in the beginning, uh, at COVID, everyone thought, oh, this is a three, four, five month thing. We're going to return back to normal, right? But it came in waves, which made it even more difficult because then you would make one plan and then say, okay. Once we're over the bump, then we can get back to normal. And then you would be trying to get back to normal, but it w- wouldn't really. And then you'd be hit again with another quarantine. And um, it's extremely tough for the, for, for the company, right? Because then you have to let go of people in, in multiple rounds. And that kills morale, right? Because is it, will it ever end, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and will the company survive? So I think everyone in travel were very um, scared. Uh, of how long this would take and I know a lot of friends uh, and also other players in our industry that had to close shop because you know they didn't have financial backing to uh, withstand or to get through that period of of no revenue Um, so it was a bloodbath uh, and we also had to say goodbye to a lot of people that we worked with for many many years so it, it, it was sad but on the other hand um, you know, coming out of it now uh, definitely made the organization much, much stronger and much leaner too, right? So nothing is as bad as it isn't good for something. Uh, but for sure, you know, our plans were completely different uh, and everything got postponed four or five years because that's what we project the aviation industry uh, time-wise to really get back to uh, 2019. You, you mentioned there something that was really interesting. You mentioned that you feel, and, and you know, I can only imagine the emotional impact that has on, on not only you as you, you know as the as the figurehead in that organisation, but obviously the the employees you had, and again, not only for for air help, but across the industry. But something you mentioned there was about 
are help coming out stronger, coming out the other side. And, and I'd like to dig into that a little bit more. Is that from a resilience perspective, from a you know a literal product perspective? Because you kind of got to spend time working on that. What what does what does stronger mean to you in that context? Stronger means that you are forced to uh, focus, right, and you're forced to remove all the stuff that might not be. Uh, something that benefits uh, you or the, the company here in the, in, the, in the short term. So you just basically align all the troops, all the resources on one thing and you say, this is what we need to do and we need to do it very well. And then we're going to use this time uh, where we may not have so much activity uh, from a day to day and then uh, uh, try to make our procedures, our tech, our uh, you know, customer service, the whole package so much better um, so that we're world champions on the other side of this and we come out um, and and we can scale from there again. So I think it forces you to really focus. Uh, and then the fact that it clears out a lot of the companies that may not have that ability. Uh, so you have an industry that instead of maybe one local competitor uh, in each country, then all of a sudden you have maybe a handful of competitors in total. Um, and that opens up market shares uh, for you to then go in and grab. Um, that will then come back and there'll be more competition. But for the time being, it, it cleared out a little bit uh, in the industry and you can use that momentum on, on the other side. So it sounds like there's sort of two elements to that, right? There's a, an ability to put a renewed focus within the organization on the areas that are going to make you that much stronger as you come out, but also coming out into a, not necessarily less competitive landscape, but a, a landscape where, you know, people that were really able to weather that storm and, and to, to put the time into those processes are going to be in a much better place. And I guess, again, that, that kind of neatly brings us on to, to where we are now, as I say, kind of August 2022, and particularly as someone that's flown through a few airports in the last, in the last couple of months, air travel is in a bit of a state like i'd like to understand what your what your take is on the industry at the moment um and then i suppose what that means for for air help and i suppose the, the final bit to that is what do you think the future looks like we're in a world at the moment where it feels like it's bad news after bad news after bad news mm -hmm. but you know what do you see as, as the future particularly within that aviation industry yeah uh so i so what we're seeing right now in travel in general is that um flights are coming uh, very much back right we're not at a hundred percent compared to 2019 but we're in the 80s late 80s end of 80s percent so we're almost back to 2019. Uh, the demand is a little bit different it's much more leisure uh, and it's less business right so the business segment has kind of understood that maybe i don't need to fly for every meeting i can also just do a video call Right, which also makes sense, right? By like the the old prestige of flying around for for me business meetings is a little bit uh, uh, old days, and now you can do a lot more uh, on on video calls. So it's less business, more leisure, um, and there's actually a term for it because a lot of the people who didn't go anywhere during COVID, they are now taking a revenge. So it's called revenge travel. <laughs> revenge people travel. were stuck at home, and now all of a sudden they can travel, and then everyone's traveling. The big problem is just that the airlines, pretty much all of the airlines, they also had to make drastic changes to COVID, uh, and some of them also used it as an opportunity to 
uh, outphase some of their old aircrafts, uh, and with that, you know, also staff they had to reduce, ground staff, mechanics, uh, everything. Right? They you know also lost ninety percent of their revenue overnight, uh, so they had to really uh, drastically reduce uh, their companies. And firing people might take some time, but then ramping up to that state, like that uh, size again, takes a lot longer. And that's what we're seeing today in Europe and the US is that the demand has increased much faster than the airlines are actually capable, also the airports are capable of meeting that demand. So this summer has been complete chaos. Actually, we've seen more flight disruption than we've ever seen in the 13 years or in the 10 years air health uh, has existed. So uh, you normally look at uh, 1% of all flights being more than three hours delayed, like severe delay. And these days it's 2%, so twice as likely to uh, be delayed more than three, uh, three hours or your flight's canceled. And for the luggage, also complete chaos around the airports because the airport staff is not uh, sufficient and uh, you have uh, luggage stranded everywhere. So this summer has been extremely busy uh, for air help. Um, and fall in travel. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, there's uh, really uh, not any uh, capabilities right now for the airports and for the airlines to meet that demand. So this will continue for at least the uh, rest of August. Then travel seems to uh, uh, go down a little bit in September, October. Uh, and then I think we're, we're over next summer uh, if the airlines and airports have ramped up until that time to to meet the demand it can also take longer than that so my night next summer might also be a complete uh, uh, panic um, but uh, yeah that's that's what we're seeing and that's why for everyone who's traveling this year you know they're probably experiencing it in the airports flying schedule change uh, uh, luggage that's uh, missing um, and um, yeah my only recommendation is that like if you can then push your travels until september october a little bit less run on the airports um but uh but right now there's there's nothing we can really do but to help the passengers who come to us and say okay you know i had a flight disruption and then we uh, help them with the claim so in summary push your flights but if not air help is there to literally help so let's uh, the shameless plug there that we definitely need to throw in um and and so looking at that future facing piece do you think it's going to be realistically sort of 2024 you, you know if we look at kind of the august of 2024 like we might be back to some semblance of normality or do you think that we'll then be back at kind of you know 100% flight capacity well flight demand so w- w- do you think the uh, providers in that space the airports the airlines will be able to keep up and catch up by that point yeah so so if you look at Eurocontrol and FAA in the US that predicts flight traffic for the next year, so their prediction was that it would be 2024, 2025 before the demand would be there. But that was wrong. We actually see a much faster demand, even though flight tickets pricing are going up. So so the, I think the demand will be at 100% uh, maybe this year, but definitely next year. Uh, then if uh, the airlines airports are actually able to go to 100% or maybe above um, and at the same time maintain that uh, or able to accommodate that traffic, that I'm not so certain about. It might be that that would be the case that they're fast and and we're back to normal next summer, but it might be another summer, as I said, where it's going to be quite hectic 
and then you're looking at 24 before you really uh, have caught up uh, with the travel demand um, and and now the the airlines have gotten their aircrafts up and running maybe new aircrafts that also takes time if you make an order for that um, and uh, and are running at 100 so it could be a year could be a year and a half we'll see interesting I, would, I want to sort of take it back to something you mentioned there sort of coming out of the pandemic and and looking at, at new markets you talk to us a little bit about the the markets that the air help operate in at the moment and, and what that looks like yeah uh, so one of the key things when we started air help uh, was the approach to um, like delivering a service that everyone in the world could use right because if you look at lawyers in particularly they only have jurisdiction in one country so it's very local by nature and we wanted to offer uh, a service that was global right so the first thing we did when we started the company was to translate our app and our website into eight languages and uh, make sure that everyone basically could download it use it and we would have the legal arm to also enforce it in those countries so airhelp has been a very global from the very beginning which is also very unusual within legal tech also in insurance tech because it's very license based um, but we were able to do that uh, as the first real global service so we also said you know you, we, we want to be the airbnb Right? You don't know the local competitor to Airbnb, but there definitely is a local competitor to Airbnb in each country, but everyone knows Airbnb. So that's why we said, okay, we want to be a service that everyone in the world can use. Uh, very ambitious, considering you would then have to have legal representation in each country in the world. Um, and even though we don't have that in each country in the world, we have in a lot of countries. And because of that, and because of the... Yeah, before COVID, 250,000 legal actions per year we take. AirHelp became the biggest law firm uh, seen in legal actions. Um, and we never really wanted to become a law firm. We were not, we were a travel and tech company, right? But we became, that's why I said we became a little bit legal tech because now all of a sudden we were the biggest law firm in the world, uh, even though we're not a law firm, right? We have, we work with lawyers, but we're not a law firm ourselves. Um, and, uh, and yeah, uh, probably the biggest international network of lawyers uh, within uh, this. So so that was a journey uh, too. And that's also made us start looking into other verticals, right? Because if you have legal representation locally, you work with consumer rights, consumer rights, not only in aviation and, and, and travel, it's in many areas of, of, of life, right? So we could also help on other things. So that we worked a lot with up until COVID, had to put a pause on it, but that's definitely something we're going to be uh, working on in the future again. Oh, I definitely want to come back to those plans at the end because I think that sounds super interesting, right? And I think, again, speaking to a lot of entrepreneurs or startup founders, it's about, you know, the niche that you guys worked in isn't, it's a, it's a big niche, right, in terms of aviation travel and legal plans, but it from the, the groundwork that you put in seems that you're in a really good position to, to expand that. And I mean, from a from an air help itself perspective, you mentioned kind of at the peak it was it was eight hundred people. I mean, internationally from a from an employee focus, like what what does that look like for you? Like headquarters, international offices. How how do you operate that model? It's something I'm super interested in. Again, COVID changed a lot of people's opinions about how that might work as well. So I'd love to know how that works for for air help at the moment. 
Yeah, um, so I mentioned that Airhelp was born on a beach in Bali. Um, and for the first couple of years, even the founding team, we were three, uh, we were working from many different places uh, uh, and nice places, but we just didn't want to be in like a basement somewhere or a garage and, uh, and, and work from there. And we worked as hard as anyone. Uh, but we just did it from a nice place. And also, when you have a short runway, which you typically have in the beginning, then it's cheaper to be in Thailand than it is to be in uh, Silicon Valley or London. or you know. So, so that also makes sense from an economic perspective. And I think that way of thinking became at the DNA of AirHelp. So even though we've, we have a headquarter in Berlin, our biggest office is in Poland. Right? Uh, we've had uh, offices in uh, seven different countries, um, and we have a lot of people working remotely. Uh, and that was even before uh, COVID. But we always made sure that we would all meet um, definitely two times a year, but like more quarterly, so four times a year, people would meet. And having our colleagues meet each other, for even for the first time, but then or just again and again, is necessary for the communication on a day-to-day basis if you're working remotely. So if you if you know we knew that if we did that, then it didn't matter that the organization would be spread out all over Europe and US, also in Asia, um, because uh, we could trust our employees to work. And like you know, as with anyone I work with, I always prefer on a more performance based if you do a good job then we look at the job where you're sitting how many hours you work it's not really our business like it's more the results we were looking at right so so i think that was the culture of the company too and that why that's why it was very international from early on and people sitting in many countries um, and we've had good experiences with that so that uh, like transition to COVID days where people then work remotely wasn't really that big of a transition for us. Uh, maybe it was an operation where people tend to come in nine to five, um, but for most of the other teams, that was how they used to work. Um, so I think that that then you can say then we didn't have the quarterly meetings or or any of that, and I think that people also missed actually. So working a hundred percent remote, that's also not recommendable, right? You have to have some social interaction and feel you're part of something. Um, uh, so that's still important, and we're coming doing that more and more now that we can, right? Um, but uh, but yeah, it was it has been a remote organization in a way. That's super interesting. Well, I'm actually reading um, it's called the Culture Map by Erin Mayer at the moment, which is basically about working with teams from different cultures, from different um, backgrounds, from and, and how those well, those different cultural differences sometimes merge together. I'd, I'd be really interested to know, slight segue, but if there's anything that you've seen with working with that, as it sounds like a completely international team that's meant that you've ever had to change your style for, for a different culture or working with people for different cultures or whether it's, you know, set the values all the way through and people sort of coalesce around around those. Yeah, I would say, uh, the, like, the time... Uh, Growing air help and being in travel and being a very international uh, organization has really uh, taught me a lot about cultures, different cultures. Uh, and we did a lot of uh, like analysis also on our cultural differences in order for managers to understand the cultural differences. Uh, and every time we did that, we always had like an eye opener because it then 
was described to us what we were experiencing and why that was right and then when you're aware of it you can then figure out how to to work around it or work with it so so you don't lose a lot in translation or just in in general uh yeah way of management way of management so so that was actually super interesting uh, but made a lot of mistakes uh, doing that process too um and i think we had we didn't have to change the culture in the sense that you know where in america you can almost you know be offending everyone all the time so you, it's very difficult for management to do anything right uh i think we still kept maybe a little bit european uh approach to it uh and and we're very welcoming still very welcoming in in all our differences um and um yeah i think focusing on the on the work focusing on the on the problem at hand um and and making sure people who are professional also do that like that that's always been the core right we're all here as like we're not a we're a team we're not a family um so uh, i think like we've also been very professional in that sense but for sure uh like on on the on the different cultures i've learned a lot um and what might mean something one place means completely different thing another place and yeah i think uh, yeah i don't really have a, a, a an answer to how to do it it's a learning process um but uh, but for sure it's a uh, it's been uh, it's been interesting yeah. was there any specific you know you talked about those eye openers where you suddenly went and I, like as i said I've, i've certainly been i've been reading this book recently and i've i've had those light bulb moments of going oh that's why that happened or that's why that person seemed offended or that's why was there anything specific that came to mind when you were thinking about that that you could that you could share that you go or maybe even a generality that you go ah yeah that's something i really had to adapt to or we had to have that open air conversation about um, yeah I've, there's probably been a lot uh, <laughs> if i am to think about one or two that pops up so one thing was that uh, a lot of our uh, our organization is based in Poland um and uh, that made a lot of sense from engineering perspective because you know I'm Danish and you know that's five million people so if you start anything in Denmark by the time you're one year old you have to relocate to some country that's bigger uh, to make sure you can get the right talent um and we went to Poland to get the engineers we wanted to get the operation uh we wanted and and uh, so we based a lot of our people there um and uh that is a diff- very different culture uh to the scandinavian culture uh so here where in scandinavia it's a very flat hierarchy where everyone is encouraged and will also uh make their opinion heard and you are more making decision in consensus uh so it's it's uh it's a flat hierarchy whereas in poland it's very different it's not very flat it's very hierarchical and you are more uh, prone to uh, do what your boss tells you and not necessarily question it or not necessarily speak up and say, you know maybe this could be done uh, differently um and i think that was a little bit of a challenge because when you come from a culture where it's normal it happens and then all of a sudden you have to encourage people to do it and then make sure that they understand that even if they're wrong they're not punished right um so many times in the beginning when i was doing team talks for you know even hundreds of people and i'd say anyone questions ideas and then there'd be nothing right and then you think okay you know there's no response whatsoever like either it's a tough crowd right or 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 people don't care 
Um, but that wasn't necessarily so. It was just because you just don't do that necessarily, right? Uh, and and that's something where you have to then uh, work on that to make sure that people feel uh, feel comfortable and, and they can uh, speak up. So, uh, but then there's probably a lot of things that we did as Scandinavians, which wasn't really <laughs> very, or maybe like too too less affair, right? And where people might need more hands-on support, and, and then we didn't do that. So. Uh, yeah, there's pros and cons with with every work culture, uh, but for sure I remember those early team meetings where it was just video silence. <laughs> I can imagine, and I feel like that's a topic that we could talk about for for hours and hours and hours, given the you know particularly the the incredibly international nature of air help. The one thing I'd like to sort of take a complete right turn on is again it'd be remiss of us on a fintech podcast not to talk about payments not to talk about fintech and what i'd love to know from from your side is as you were building air help you know it, exactly to your point right became almost a, a legal tech business in in one sense what's the importance of payments and i could probably guess it's very very important but kind of what were the lessons you learned about how you deal with international payments and again this is not a currency cloud plug whatsoever but i'd love to know kind of that journey about how that's worked for you and, and what you've learned along the way there as well yeah uh, that's a, that was a big uh, journey too for us uh, and i've actually had a lot of experience with uh, payments uh, i used to work for rocket internet started a lot of companies out in asia and I did all the payment gateways for those e-commerce, uh, and and especially in Asia, it's completely scattered. You don't have one, you know, Stripe didn't exist back then, or at least not in those countries. And uh, therefore, you had to have many local uh, variants of different payment gateways. So I've seen a lot of different uh, solutions to that. Um, and when it came to AirHelp, it was even more difficult because, again, we're in travel. Our customers are based everywhere in the world because they travel uh, if they get compensation from an airline it's cash and that cash has to be paid out to the customer in various different forms uh, going across borders in many different countries and imagine if you're doing you know hundreds of thousands of payments like this to you know hundreds of countries and these are not necessarily big amounts like as i said 250 euro 600 euro uh, that just like checks off or triggers every anti-terror money laundry uh, like restriction that there is on any payment gateway or bank or money service there is in the world, uh, right? So we basically had a situation where we were trying to make partners or use many different uh, uh, payment gateways, but we would often end up in huge uh, like problems because uh, we would trigger all these uh, um these filters and then we couldn't transfer the money or we'd had to use different uh, ways of transferring the money and that was extremely expensive it didn't make sense for the customer or for us and uh, so it's it's always been a challenge for us uh, to manage all these payments um and it's also highly unusual right who does all these payouts like you know most companies online do payments right like you receive money but you don't pay out money so it's uh, it's very uh, unusual also in that sense um, and we worked on this for many years and, and eventually uh, uh, signed up for Currency Cloud, which I also used actually before. Um, and I remember once we did that, then things started to become a lot more uh, smooth. 
um, because we could do these international transfers and to many of the countries that we couldn't do it before. And the banks that we used to work with didn't uh, flag it as they did before and delayed all the payments. And um, But yeah, it's uh, uh, it's been something that we also had to be a little bit of a pioneer in. And still to this day, there are some countries where, you know, if you want to get money out of Brazil, it's difficult. Right. If you want to get money from certain airlines in other countries, it's difficult, and uh, we have to work around that to to help the passenger. So it's still a work in progress, but uh, a lot better than what it used to be. Thank you. And again, I suppose when you're dealing with a with a business that is about compensation, actually payments becomes the most part, but you know the biggest part of it as well, right? That's the ultimate score of customer satisfaction is that the payment lands in their bank account and they. You know, air help have done their job at that point, right? Um, awesome. And well, yeah, look, it, might be, it might be that we have the same situation as as what made made us a law for or legal tech. This now made us a fintech company in a way. And if you measure on payouts to you know, amount of countries, maybe we're also one of the biggest. Uh, I don't know, but uh, but yeah, it's it's something that just happened along the way that we never really intended it to be, but it was necessary for us to offer the service. So we also had to learn that uh, and, and be pioneers on that and figure out how it would work. Awesome, and I mean, from from what we've said, we've gone from travel tech to to fintech to legal tech, and I'm sure there's a bit of insure tech in there as well. Like, what's what's the future for AirHelp now? You know, air, you know, air travel demand is going back up. What do, what does the future look like for you? Yeah, so I think you mentioned a little bit insurance tech, since also also my background. So we've always played around, uh, played with insurance. Uh, we're not an insurance company. So what you can do is you can resell insurance and someone else, an underwriter, uh, is, is actually uh, uh, the insurance company. Um, but that is always something we looked at because remember, it's only one or 2% of the people who travel that we can actually sell our service to, right? Because those are the ones who are delayed or, or have flight disruption. But what about the other 99% of people? Like they are customers at AirHelp because they've had a claim in the past. Um, they might also have experienced a flight disruption, but it wasn't three hours, right? Uh, so couldn't we help them as well now that they're coming to us? So it made a lot of sense to expand our offering and say, okay, let's develop a product then that you have to pay for, uh, just like any other travel insurance. Uh, but it's a service that then helps you if you experience these flight disruptions or uh, trouble with the airline or in any other way you you know miss out on some vacation days uh, and then we can give you certain benefits uh, help you get to your destination get you some compensation for free uh, give you lounge access all these different things that just makes the whole experience a little bit better because again we exist because the airlines and the online travel agents are not very good at that right so this is our space this is the help that we're giving you so uh, the insurance or service uh, uh, products that we offer uh, today, we offer through a lot of our partners. So if you buy your flight tickets uh, with some of the biggest online travel agents today, you might see a little AirHelp, uh, AirHelp Plus, AirHelp Premium uh, product that you can add on checkout, uh, which is us and, and uh, which helps you no matter what, even if your air passenger rights might not um, be uh, relevant in your case. Uh, and that product, that side of the business, 
is very much like what we're also doing with the claims, right? Because claims is, you know, do you have a claim according to certain rules? Insurance, do you have a claim according to certain rules, the policy? So the engine is already there. Uh, the people is already there. Experience, the partners, uh, the distribution. So we could use all the same building blocks to launch these products. And today, these products are, are the ones that I think has the most promise in the term that they are exponentially uh, growing, uh, whereas um, the flight disruption is, of course, dependent on the amount of flight disruption. So uh, it's still limited to some extent, whereas the rest we can sell to to more and more partners and, and, and more and more uh, end users. So I really am excited about that part of the the, the, the company um, because that's yeah picking up speed now. And I think people also mindset-wise are more likely to buy these type of products. Uh, also because the airlines are just you know right now in in complete chaos, but also with COVID and 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 a lot of these things happening, they are less likely to take those chances. Say so, you know I'm just going to pay that uh, 5, 10, 15 uh, euro to get that extra protection. So it's becoming that all-in-one travel companion for people to give them that piece, almost that preventative peace of mind, right? Rather than that sort of reactive, right, now what do I have to do after I've been sat in Stansted for nine hours, which is a fate worse than death. Um, perfect. And well, look, I a, think... Like an un, unbiased, uh, like legal advice almost right uh, airhelp also actually started out as an organization we were not a for-profit company we were com- we were an organization that wanted to inform people about their rights uh, and then also help them with uh, getting that claim we then realized that in order to grow the company you had to get investment in order to get investment it could had to be for profit and, and so on so then it, it, it wasn't an organization thought anymore it became a, a for-profit company um, but yeah, uh, that was to begin with, just to have someone that is not the airline, that's not the online travel agent, uh, that is not the local enforcement body in your country, because typically they are, you know, not capable in any way of of like managing thousands of of, of customer cases. So that was our like uh, like our uh, little helper that you would have uh, a service that you would have in your pocket uh, that could all the time give you a, a, a legal opinion or a consumer rights uh, opinion about your case. So, yeah. Well, look, Henrik, I think through the course of the journey, we, we've gone through entrepreneurship, we've gone through the state of travel industry, fintech to payments. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I think we've covered so many super interesting topics that I know, particularly that it's the middle of travel season, that people are going to be uh, super interested to hear about but where can people hear more about yourself more about air help and how can they get that little travel companion in their pocket for their next trip yeah i think uh, maybe keeping an eye out for air help uh, when you buy your flight ticket uh, in the checkout process uh, then uh, try it out see if you like it Uh, we've done a lot of work on that so and would love also to get some feedback on it Um, and then yeah, whenever uh, you experience some of these things with flight disruption, then uh, I think for all of us, it's just so much easier just to let someone else do it instead of you being uh, on the phone with, with airlines for hours. So, so yeah, that uh, that is our core, and that's why we're here. Um, so always happy to help. 
Um, and for myself, uh, well, I um, usually do a lot of uh, um, posting, radio shows, podcasting, that kind of stuff uh, to get the word out. Uh, so uh, right now I have my hands full with two little babies, so uh, I'm not doing so much broadcasting, but uh, <laughs> I will get back to, to my podcast uh, called The Honest Podcast, so check that out. Um, or, um, yeah, uh, my blog at henriksilmer.com. I also uh, write some stuff, blog posts about entrepreneurship in general. So not so much air help, but more about uh, uh, being an entrepreneur. Perfect. Well, Henrik, thank you so much for joining us today on the Payments Innovation Podcast. And I'm flying on Saturday, so I kind of hope I don't have to use air help, but I will definitely be uh, be looking out for it. So thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you guys so much. You've been listening to the Payments Innovation Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time. <laughs>